Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. As we continue to think about our fresh start, one clear area that we're going to hit is that of, well, what should we even be focusing on? That's where goal setting comes into play. And while I did touch on this in the original Fresh Start episode, I think it's worth giving more consideration. When we think about goals, there's a ton of different ways to think about them. But at their basics, a goal is simply a future result that you are directing your effort towards. Now, there are a lot of different ways that we can go about setting these goals, and we'll get into that more next week when I go through some of the various goal frameworks. But before we get into those frameworks, it's important to understand how goals actually work and why we even set them. So today, we're going to be looking at those goals and some of the things we should think about when we're setting them. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash freshstartgoals. All right, keep on listening to find out how you can score your own goal. Let's start off with the question, why should we even bother setting goals? All of us at some point have written down those things in life that we really wanted to go after. And then while cleaning out a backpack six months later, found that same scrunched up piece of paper buried under all our books and gone, oh yeah, that. Goal setting can often feel like an exercise in futility. With some goals, I never seem to make progress, while there are other things that aren't really goals but still seem to happen on their own. Our issues often come with how we're setting and prioritizing these goals. Plus, there's a whole issue of where I lie to myself about how if it's important, I'll remember it. Even with those big goals, we can still forget. One of the lessons I've learned is if I want to set an effective goal, I need to be reminded of it. And not just once in a while. Daily is best. Beyond that, we can start looking towards goal-setting theory to start rounding out how we want to think about setting our goals. Goal-setting theory began in the 1960s, and its core claim is that there is a relationship between goals and performance, and then that having a goal modifies how we behave. Edwin Locke's Towards a Theory of Task, Motivation, and Incentives lays out our first cornerstones of goal-setting theory. First, that hard goals produce better outcomes than easy goals. And second, that a specific goal produces a better outcome than a goal of do your best or not having a goal at all. More plainly put, a difficult goal is better than an easy goal, and a specific goal is better than a broad goal. Goal setting theory also states that there are four key mechanisms for completing goals. I like to think of these as levers. They're all important, but you'll need to pull down them on various different ways depending on the goal you're working on. These levers are focus, effort, persistence, and strategy. The first three mechanisms are motivational. They're what are going to get us into gear to make that goal happen. Focus is what lets us prioritize the goal and keep it at the forefront of our minds. The more difficult the goal is, the more effort we're going to have to put in. And with any worthwhile endeavor, we are going to need the persistence to stick with it. But it doesn't always matter how hard we try at something or how long we stick with it if we're not doing the right things. That's where our fourth lever comes in. And that's our strategy. On those really hard goals, we're going to need to focus on the process, on doing those right things. This might lead us to think that strategy is the most important aspect here, 
but your strategy won't get you anywhere without your focus, effort, or persistence. The key is combining these levers so that we can effectively reach our goals. Every goal we complete is going to need all four elements at some point, but we don't need to think about pulling them all at the same time. Sometimes we'll need to pay more attention to our focus, while other times we'll need to pay more attention to the effort. Sometimes we can let up on our persistence and let things simmer, and sometimes our strategy won't matter as long as we're putting in the work. We're also going to want to think about what makes something a good goal. A good goal serves four basic functions. It should motivate and inspire us. It should guide our future planning. It should help us direct our daily tasks and decisions. And it should help us evaluate and improve ourselves. Typically, I'm fairly conservative with the word should, but I'm including it here because these are things that we want to see in our good goals. If it isn't motivating or helping us improve, why is it a goal? If we can't use it for our future and daily planning, it probably isn't actionable. Goals serve a very specific purpose in our lives. They're us verbalizing what we want and how we're going to go after it. And they absolutely need those two components. I know it sounds a little off to think about how a goal might be something we don't want, but sometimes our goals are influenced by other factors. Perhaps we want the fancy car because our neighbors got one, or we want to become a doctor because that's what our parents wanted. Sometimes we explicitly know when we want something because of outside pressure, but there are also plenty of times when we've never thought about why we want something. And so with any goal, we need to think about the why behind the want. Broadly speaking, we can think of goals fitting into three different types, outcome, performance, and process. Often when we're talking about goals, we're thinking about them in terms of outcome and performance. These are the tangibles that we can measure. A clear example here could be winning a race or even, say, finishing a race. You can clearly see if the outcome happened or not. For a performance goal, we're looking at how we performed. So if we stick with the race idea, we could have a goal of getting our 5K time under 30 minutes, or whatever would be an improvement for you. But all of our goals aren't going to be like that. We can also have goals that are harder to measure and aren't strictly about the outcome. This is where we get our process goals. These are goals that are strictly about improving our skills or processes. These kinds of goals are about your individual actions and can't be qualitative measured in the same way outcome and performance goals are. For example, we may have a process goal of studying Spanish 20 minutes a day. While this goal may be part of a larger goal of learning a new language, you can still complete this goal regardless of the outcome of that bigger goal. The distinction here may seem purely semantic, but it's important to keep in mind while we're setting these goals. One of the keys of goal setting is that we want to challenge ourselves. And this is especially true in those outcome and performance-based goals. By making those goals hard, we can often rise to the challenge. But with process goals, if we set the bar too high, it's easy for us to overextend ourselves and get demotivated. Process goals aren't so much about pulling that effort lever, but more about the ones for focus and persistence. All right, I'd like to finish up today with the story of Mike Flint and Warren Buffett. Now, this story may or may not be apocryphal, but it still has some great lessons in it. Mike Flint was Warren Buffett's personal pilot for 10 years, and so they had a lot of interactions over the years. In one such interaction, Buffett was helping Flint go over his career priorities with a three-step exercise. 
Here's how it works, and you can work along at home if you want to. Step 1. First, Flint was instructed to write down his top 25 career goals. Take your time with this, and while getting to 25 can seem like a bit of a stretch at first, once you get going it tends to help out the process. I did this and it took roughly 15 minutes, and then 20 minutes later I was still thinking of new things to add to the list. Step 2. Next, Flint was asked to review and circle his top 5 goals. Again, take your time here and really think about which things you want to do the most and which will have the biggest impacts. Step 3. Now, Flint had two lists. The five-item list of his most important goals, let's call this list A, and then a second list of 20 lower-priority goals, and we'll call it list B. Obviously, we want to be working on those top five goals. But here's where we get our twist. Buffett now asked Flint what he was going to do with the goals on list B. Flint responded that the top five goals would be his primary focus, but that he'd work on the items on the second list intermittently when he had time. They weren't urgent, but he still wanted to do them, so he'd dedicate effort into everything on both lists. But he had it wrong. Buffett instead told him the second list was now his avoid-at-all-cost list, that no matter what, those things don't get any intention until you've succeeded at your top five. When I read this story, I remember having a fairly visceral response. I did not like it. The idea of making those things that I wanted to do go on my not-to-do list was uncomfortable at best. But as I molded over, it started to feel like there might be some truth to the ideas. Again, I'm not entirely sure of the authenticity of this story, but it resonated in a lot of ways once I got over my initial revulsion to the idea of avoiding doing my lower-priority goals. Last week's episode focused on decluttering the physical things in our lives. Think of this process as a way of decluttering what we do with our time. Everything we do has a cost. They cost time, energy, space, money. Nothing is completely free in that sense. Often when we're looking at our goals, we think of them in terms of any benefit. That is, we think about how they might benefit us without thinking about any of that cost. Those items on list B are going to have a cost, and often that cost comes at the expense of those things that we really want to do on list A. Those goals 6 through 25 are still important to you, and they might derive some benefit to your life, but not nearly the same benefit as you'd get from actually completing one of those top five tasks. For example, when I was going through my list for this podcast, one of the things I wrote down is I could write some additional blog articles to supplement the podcast. I mean, I do a lot of writing already, so I could probably start publishing on another platform like Medium, and that would absolutely help grow the podcast audience. However, that's not in my top five goals for the podcast, probably not even my top 10, and the time I spent doing that could easily be spent doing something that's actually a higher priority and would make a bigger impact. To be clear here, I'm not saying never do those tasks. What this exercise is saying is do those things only after your top five. All we're doing here is prioritizing, and then accepting the fact that if we try and do those lower priority things, we're going to be spreading ourselves too thin. Additionally, one of the things to keep in mind here is that this was focused on Flint's career goals. We're not going to hit all of our life domains in one list. If I ignored everything else for my overall top five, I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. Not that it isn't important to me, just that there are a lot of areas in my life that need to take priority first. Nonetheless, I think this is a worthwhile exercise to do because it helps you focus on what's important and what needs to be put to the side. And think about this in terms of setting your goals for the month, or perhaps the quarter. 
every month you can get a fresh slate and decide on which things you really need to focus on, because those are the things that are going to be making the biggest difference in your life. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. One, there are four mechanisms we need to keep in mind when trying to complete our goals. These are focus, effort, persistence, and strategy. Two, we can think of goals fitting into three broad categories, outcome, performance, and process. Outcome and performance goals focus on things we can measure, and process goals focus on the things that we do. Three, with an any-benefit approach to our goals, we're going to end up trying to focus on doing everything. Instead, it's better if we prioritize those things that are most important and do them before we even think about doing those lower-priority goals. For this episode's show notes, go to hackingyouradhd.com slash freshstartgoals. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HackingYourADHD. Or you can connect with me over at hackingyouradhd.com slash contact. I'd also like to encourage you to go check out the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, go check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. If you're interested in exploring issues of diversity in ADHD, then be sure to check out ADHD Diversified with MJ. For those late-diagnosed women, moms, and professionals, there's also the ADHD-friendly lifestyle with Moira Mapin. I also do a live Q&A with all the hosts of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. My wife asked me to put ketchup on the shopping list. And well, now she's mad and I can't read anything else on it.